Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? I'm good. Why I, are you good? I've just landed from Gothenburg in Sweden. Oh, right. What was you doing in Gothenburg in Sweden, Rob? <laughs> I was there for Tori Rones, the Norwegian um, performance artist and sculptor. Mm. And she had a major museum show at the Gothenburg Kunstmuseum, mm. which is like a bit like the Tate, but in... Gothenburg and it's a huge building she had a, a floor to ceiling film installation which I loved mm. and it was did brilliant she, she's a performance artist she said yeah and did she, she did, perform she did a little kind of um, it wasn't an official performance but she did a welcome um, song kind of improvised they had a microphone where they were doing speeches oh, right. and she just walked up and started singing and it was unbelievable and she got a recorder out and started playing with a recorder wow. I mean I think it was slightly planned because actually she did have like a voice um machine thing that made her voice sound like five. What, did, what was the song five like? Can you give voices. us a version of it? Mm, no, but if you go to my personal Instagram, you'll be able to see a video of her. Ah, okay. Let's so I had a great few days there, catching yes. up with Tori. Yes. And now I am in the studio in London with you. And? With a very special guest. This guest is incredibly exciting. Uh, I have made like pages and pages of notes, which is something I don't normally do. No, but I, I always make notes, but I have them as like a digital file. But you've gone really old school and well, you actually have paper. Well, I, I, I've been... It's an oh, old... there's a rustle on the mic. Uh, <laughs> classic. Um, <laughs> you were waiting for that. I, uh, it's all about timing. It is. It's incredible timing. <laughs> We well, I've just I've fallen into a, a rabbit hole of YouTube videos because this man has done a lot of uh, presenting and interviews that are readily available on YouTube, and it's incredibly fascinating. I'm I'm hooked. I'm I'm a huge fan, and I am uh, bedazzled by him. And well, he's a conceptual artist. Yeah, he was made an OBE in 2017. Wow! So we have another OBE here because oh, we had too much, too many OBEs, so many OBEs in, in this room. Oh, get over um, it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the thing for me, which I connect so strongly with his work, is um, this idea of the power of imagination and. Um, kind of the possibility that we all are creative, even if we're not all artists as such, we have this potential to imagine. And just like when you're a kid, you can think up all these wonderful ideas and mm. do them. And it even got me thinking about this podcast, how you and I are being creative ourselves. Mm. You know, and it's like we can't help ourselves but to mm. create. Yeah. So I'm very excited to be with him today. Mm -hmm. Me too. Well, let's welcome OBE. 
Ryan, Ryan Gander. Gander. Oh yeah. <laughs> How you doing? It's, it's like watching ping pong between you two. Yeah, right. Is it? From side to side. Can we, do you can think it it's be, like an Olympic sport? Can it be tennis, not ping pong? Ping pong's a bit light. Yeah. What? Bracketed by two athletes. Yes, oh, I we wish are. I was an athlete. Sadly, not not so much. Do you know what? The other thing I wanted to say is I love your spoken voice. Yes. Like, I think you have the best voice. Yes. And I was watching some of the videos last night because actually mm. I did all the research reading sort of press releases and mm. text. I didn't realise you'd done all this presenting stuff until mm. yesterday. Um, but you That's have the most amazing I, voice. It's why they put um, Northerners on telesales because you're more likely <laughs> to buy stuff because we're really, really friendly. Love Trust, that. It's a trustworthy voice, Apparently, isn't it? Yeah. Although I just had uh, four friends come to Suffolk for the weekend, some school friends. Um and everyone, wherever we went, we went to pubs and stuff. And everywhere we went, everyone looked like we were going to rob them. Really? Yeah. What, they were worried that you guys were just like a little gang? It's quite posh Suffolk. Right. And four, four lads and... But you're from Suffolk, aren't you? No, Chester. Oh, Chester. Yeah, but... Ah, right. Uh, right. Chester. Makes sense. My auntie Fran lives in Chester. Oh, God. Yeah, she... and all my cousins. Auntie Fran lives yes. there? Yes, <laughs> my auntie Fran. And she actually listens to this oh, podcast. Hello, auntie Fran. Yeah. Like, yeah, did, did you know where she lives in Chester? <laughs> um, She's terrified now. I'll try and think about it and get back to you on that. Give us, give us her exact address. Blank. <laughs> she was a school teacher, though. She was like a head teacher at a school. Which one? I'll find out for you. Great. Get me the details. Yes, I will do. You need to know them. Yeah. Nantwich. No. Is Nantwich Chester? It's close. Oh, yes. Cheshire, isn't Sorry, it? Nantwich. I got there in the end. She's from Nantwich. They yeah. live in Nantwich and she was the teacher at a primary school in Nantwich or, or a, you know, a young kid's school. This is fascinating. You so, your answer your side. Ryan, so yeah. we have got you here today and it's incredibly exciting because I've been trying to pinpoint you down and you're an artist that, and it's been said, Everywhere. You're an artist who can't be pinpointed down to one style because you avoid a recognisable style and yeah. you, you thrive in that role. It's funny because um, people really like recognising things, don't they? It makes mm -hmm. you feel comfortable. Um, and so you don't do very well commercially or and you're not if you're not recognisable. So it's a bit like a contradiction or a bad curse to mm -hmm. keep changing what you do. But I just get too bored. I think if I did the same thing all the time, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. You 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 quoted so to quote a quote. You quoted that Picasso said that himself he didn't have a recognisable style. Style was like the disease of the artist. But yet, in retrospect, we all can see now that Picasso completely had a style. I think Picasso's style was him. I don't think he, the drawings and paintings and ceramics and that were actually the artwork. I think his persona which he constructed was the artwork. And all the mm. art that we think of being as art is just yeah. like the offcuts and the byproducts and or the, the receipts. The fallout, yeah, of him being Picasso. I think it was a master plan. So you think so, are you saying that because you're a conceptual artist and you you can look as a, from a conceptual artist's point of view and look at him and go, well he was conceptual and all of that stuff was the journey was taken and this is what was shown to us. But actually Picasso himself was the concept. Yeah, I mean if you close your eyes and you think about Picasso, come on. Oh, we're closing. Okay, I'm closing my eyes. Mm, for I'm thinking you. of him. You think of Picasso? You're not seeing his work, are you? No, you see it's a true, picture of him in a striped like, shirt, like jumper, yeah, yeah, yeah. or him Tight holding, shorts. you know, dressed as a cowboy, holding a baguette, holding yeah. an umbrella for Jacqueline or someone. Yeah, one of them. So you see images of him. That's interesting. That's also the same with Dali, isn't it? It is. You think of Dali and you see him. 
you don't really necessarily go to the painting. But most or... artists that do well and become historically significant, they have a strong identity, don't they, when you think mm. about it? Do you think you've got a strong identity? Uh, God. I do. <laughs> you, you think you've got a strong identity? I think you've got a strong identity. I don't know. I don't know if I have or not. Well, I'm my sure. point is, in retrospect, do you think people... That's not my masterwork in a way, but I recognise it as other people's. Do you have the master plan? Do you think your legacy will be that people will look back at you and say, oh, he did have a style because actually looking back at his career, yeah. now we can pinpoint everything? I'm like, I'll be totally on, honest with you. I'm a control freak when it comes to art. And I'm like, I work really, really hard and I, I need to control everything and understand how people read things and the approachability of things and second guess every move like a massive game of chess. But in terms of legacy mm. and in terms of my practice or artist persona, I just don't construct anything. I just, I think the reason that I, I started doing art in the first place is because I didn't want to get a job, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It's more of what I didn't want to do rather mm -hmm. than what I did want to do. Mm -hmm. I, my dad worked at Vauxhall's. I remember he said to us once, it's an old cheesy cliche, but if you choose a job that you love, you never work a day in your life. Yeah, and I, I mean... So I started making art and then I'd look at artists and I'd see artists making the same work again and again and again. And I was like, this is quite like working at Allied Carpets, mm. which is what I did for a bit. Like <laughs> doing the same thing every day and that's not what I want to do. Yeah. So I just tried to construct a practice that would chop and change. And for everyone listening who might not be familiar with your work already, you or the media that you've worked across includes things like sculpture, uh, even writing texts, um, posters, radio plays, prints, uh, making new fonts, making paintings that no one will actually ever get to see because you destroy the paintings, yeah. but you leave the, the palette used with the paint on it. Mm -hmm. um, scripts, you've made like adverts, kind of government, um, you know, adverts that look like they're made by the government, publishing books, a chess set, clothes, like it's Trainers, just endless. Yes. Yeah. It's funny because those things are actually within the remit of art, but I do other things as well, like make telly programs for telly. Yeah. And I have a company called Otto Motto, which is a design company, which, um, you know, Tony Chambers, who used to be the editor of Wallpaper, it's a company that I have with him. Mm. And we're launching a kitchen sink in Milan in a couple of weeks. So it's it's actually broader than art. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But in a way, leading a creative life, it doesn't matter if it's art or it's design or if it's kids' toys or it doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, it could be anything. So it's just about... Keeping busy. Of course. <laughs> Keeping out of trouble. What's the sink going to be like? Oh, God, if I told you that, you might... Oh, really? Good. It's... Are we all going to want the sink? Uh, that's the plan. Got it. It's, Russell's it's only asking this because he's obsessed with, like, interiors. Now you've mentioned a sink, he's like, ding! Exactly. It's based on the principles of um, capo cooking, which originates from Okayama in Japan, where right. the chef cooks any type of food in like a whole host of different methods, but just one chef in one kitchen and he's visible. So they have a sink that is also the worktop and also incorporates bowls and things that's really utilitarian. Wow. And the Otto Motto, the name of the company, is a bit of a play on a Japanese word, but anglicised, that uh, means close at hand. So that gives you a bit of an idea what it's like. Basically, the kitchen moves around you rather than you walking around the kitchen. So, so it's like you, it's like everything. Yeah, exactly. You're covering all bases trying with this, to, one, with to, this yeah. one thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And do you speak Japanese? No. But you spend a lot of time there? Yeah, I've been like a lot. I go twice a year and I've been going for like 10 years. 
So wow. most of my work's in Japan, like probably 70% of stuff I've made's in Japan. That's stuff so I've, cool. Stuff I've made that's sold. Why do you think the, the Japanese are into your work so much? I don't know. I've thought about it loads because it is it is a bit of a mini phenomenon mm -hmm. that there's so much work there. Um, I don't know. I think when you look at Shinto culture, Shinto, you know, uh, the religion, Shintoism, there's this obsession with kami, which is the soul of objects, that all objects have their own soul and they have a backstory and a meaning, a history and a legacy, and that they exist without people and that they will outlive people. When mm -hmm. people die, they still exist in the world. Well, when, even if they're man-made or if they're natural objects. Yeah, so leaves, <coughs> trees, rocks, cups, anything really. Yeah. Um, and when you think about that in relation to conceptual art, it's the same kind of idea, isn't it? It's the same equation. Because in conceptual art, the object isn't really the artwork, it's the story. So the object is a vessel for telling a story. Mm. So it's got a similar... It might, I mean, it might be that, or it might be just that, I don't know. And talking about that idea of the story yeah. and the journey to sort of making the artwork, which I've heard you, like Russell mentioned earlier, you describe it often as a receipt, and mm -hmm. it's not actually what interests you, the end result. The getting there is the is the interesting bit. The story of getting there, yeah. talking about Japan, isn't there a story with the watch? Are you wearing it right now, the watch? I'm wearing it, yeah. That you one. are? Oh, that's the one. Wow. So the watch you're wearing <laughs> is technically an artwork, and it's from 2011, is that right? It's, yeah... It's an art, it's good. It's an artwork because then the ins you insure it in your art insurance rather than your so cool <laughs> on your personal insurance. Yeah, it yeah. works out cheaper. Don't tell the insurance company. <laughs> it's a massive. Scam. Oh no, but it's true. It is. An yeah. Artwork. No, it's, uh, I had a show at Hermes in Ginza in Tokyo, um, and there was a big sculpture there. Um, what Hermes is in the designer brand? Yeah, they have an art space there. In oh Ginza, right, like really nice space. Is that the only one in the world they have, or do they have one? They yeah, I think one? they have a space in Paris as do well, they? the gallery, yeah. I didn't know. Did it's you know an that? art centre. I know they've done things in, in the actual store as well. They, they've done, like, collaborations yeah, with artists. Yeah, in the before, window. Like, Louis Vuitton yeah. did it, or is it yeah. the same? Before, they also before. before really? I think yeah. Hermes were before, yeah, actually. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Go on, sorry. Um, there was a big sculpture there, and there's uh, a guy there called Masamichi Katayama who owns a company called Wonderwall. So he's done, like, the... I think he's done the... Um, Uniqlo in New York wow. and Broadway and stuff like that. He's an interior designer right, right. and he's a friend of mine and he collects my work. And he was saying he liked this sculpture and at that moment at the opening I was just thinking, shit, how am I going to get this sculpture back home and how am I <laughs> going to pay to store it because it's massive? No one's going to buy it. How did you get it over there in the first place or was it constructed there? It was, uh, it was sent there on their budget but then it was, you know, all the shipping costs and storage costs that you accumulate with physical possessions. It's, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um and he was saying, oh, I'd love to have it. How much is it? And I said, I'll oh, just, you, you can give it. I knew he had this Bamford Rolex that was limited edition, a black one. And I said, just give us your watch and you can have it flippantly as a joke. I wasn't really proposing it. Yeah. And he just took it off and said, yeah. And I was like, this is oh, it's unreal, so, isn't it? Good. Yeah. What was the sculpture? It was, you know, on the Seine in Paris, you get those book vendors' stalls that open up and they're attached to the wall. Oh, yeah. It was one of those, but it was one of the Alchemy Box series, which is they're artworks that are containers that look like something else mm -hmm. with a load of stuff inside and the real artworks inside. But the things that are inside are listed on the wall. But you and can the, never open it. Yeah, you can never open it. And the idea is you construct your own artwork out of the ingredients listed that are inside it. Well, that's so you. A lot of your work is activated by the public. Is activated by people imagining. You you like the idea of people projecting onto your work their own creative ability, right? Yeah, because everyone's creative, aren't they? So you're you're kind of facilitating 
the public's creativity by your work. It's very yeah, giving and generous. The, th- the thing about the world is it's amazing and people are really scared to show enthusiasm about all amazing things in it. It's almost like art is pretentious, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, there's a stigma attached to being enthusiastic about things that are non-mainstream, maybe, you know? Of course. Um, well, it's only with maturity, and I, I've found that, that it's only... Like, I'm a geek. Rob's a geek. But when you're younger, you can't... Well, maybe in the next generation they do, yeah. but you could never admit to being a geek. Like, I was a collector, or I like this, or I like that, but I've never really admitted yeah. at school. Yeah, but you yeah. know, when we did the first podcast, you said, like, we used to geek out and stuff, and I, I almost took offence to begin with. I was like, I'm not a geek, and then I was like, oh my god, I'm a geek. Yeah, and now, geeks. Now, I, now I'm totally but fine with, with maturity, it. I feel like I've embraced my geekness by exactly, doing this Exactly, but that's with maturity, is that you I'm own, of it. You own yeah. being a geek, and you think, well, yeah. I'm old enough to just know who I am, and that's fine. Yeah. But yeah. when you're younger, you're, you're fearful of letting people know that you're not mainstream, yeah, that yeah. you have other thoughts, yeah. and you have other enthusiasms. As I got older, I thought, don't apologise for enthusiasm there's nothing better in the world yeah. than that and yeah. to support a, like a kid's uh uh interest mm-hmm. is like the the best thing in the world mm. and that's what your work is kind of letting people have well yeah i guess it's kind of tricking them in to being geeks and then when they realize they are and it didn't feel so bad yeah. maybe they embrace it themselves and carry on do you see what i mean yeah mm. of course so if you if you give like put a big hook a big worm on the hook yeah something intriguing or um, seducing visually or cognitively and then they get into it yeah. and then they're like, oh God, I'm standing in an art gallery yeah. and I've always been scared to go in these. I'm really enjoying myself. Yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. But, and you've got, a th- you say an analogy of art galleries is that people, you're making people take notice basically. You're, you want people to notice stuff and in an art gallery, you're programmed that you walk into an art gallery and you notice everything because you are in a white space and that's yeah. what you've been told and programmed that that's what you do in an art yeah. gallery. But then when you leave and you go on the streets, there's incredible things anything. that you should notice, but you're just not, you're not programmed <laughs> to weird, notice them. Yeah. And you it's like the art gallery is a massive highlighter pen of the world. You know, the things that are taken in there just makes them visible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think like the real quality of a good artist is seeing things in the world, you know. I mean, it's the, it's the only thing that I'm any good at, I think, is if you go for a walk with me, people get frustrated because I stop every two minutes to look at something, like chewing gum on the pavement or, mm. and take photos of it. You take Just because I'm, yeah, I guess I'm wired to do that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also like I, when I was a kid, I was in hospital a lot. Mm-hmm. So, because I use a wheelchair and I had the bone disease. So I spent a lot of time like in hospital in bed. Mm. And when you're, when you're not in the world, you crave for the world, I think. Mm. And then you imagine the world. And when you imagine the world, that is, I mean, it's like taking your brain to the gym, isn't it? Mm. it? It's just like a muscle that gets better at what it does. Is it ever too much? Do you ever find that you have to kind of chill yeah. out on that? Yeah. You do? It's too much in my studio when... Because I collect a lot <clears> of stuff uh, and I collect a lot of photographs that are then printed and put in filing boxes. Mm-hmm. So it's like going to some mad murderer's basement where they've, you know with the maps and all that stuff yep, yep, where they yeah my office in the studio is a bit like that which is horrible really but you you need but you need to archive stuff like that to have bring order to what you're seeing around you because otherwise it would just be too much information or uh i do that because it's all in the in the the back part the the storage of my brain i yeah. think all these ideas and things and starting points and catalysts and but the ram, the bit at the front, that yeah. just keeps you going. You can't keep it all at the front. No. So you need these keys to 
you know, remind you of things to, mm. like, yeah, the stimulus of seeing a word or seeing a photograph to remember the stuff that's in the back, mm -hmm. just to keep it all in the front of my mind, really. Do you, and do you ever feel an instinct to repeat something you've done and you have to stop yourself? Or are you normally, like, pretty good at doing it, that's done, next idea? That's exactly the idea. Really? Really? So you've never, like, no. felt inclined... Uh, on Unless the way, it's a whole, like the palettes, I guess, I was, was a whole thing that was... Yeah, I kept doing those because people kept getting married and they were great wedding presents. Oh, right. <laughs> and the lamps, the, lamp, the lamps is an ongoing And the lamps thing. is another one. Thank, is that ongoing? They're like thank you presents and wedding presents. They're great oh. to give, make people lamps out of, you know, old toilet seats and stuff. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And you still make them? I haven't made a lamp in ages. I've got a box with some bits in because I promised to make my dad one, but I haven't right. got around to doing it, yeah. Yeah. Well, and let's... Talk about your dad then, if yeah. we're on to that. Yeah, I love the fact that family plays such a big role well, your in dad, your world. Your dad is your hero. <laughs> your dad's your hero. I mean, and he I know, features but your dad so much. had so many great sort of quotes that you... Yeah, let the world take a turn. Yeah. What, is that, what, one, did that, what age was that when he said that to you? Uh, I think he said that it must have, well, yeah, five, six, around, you know, when I was really young. And that's quite profound. And what it's did you take because, it to mean? You know, you know the moments where, like, something bad happens on your email and you respond straight away? Yeah. And then the moment you press send, oh, you shit. like leg it for the Ethernet cable to rip it out the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you think, God, I just wish I'd waited till tomorrow. Just put it in drafts and read it. It's yeah. about taking perspective on things, isn't it? Let mm -hmm. the world take a turn. If you look at something from a different time, it's a different perspective. So, yeah. I mean, we need more of that at the moment. The world's gone mad, hasn't yes, it? Yes, it's quick thinking. Yeah. And we just lack so much empathy. The last decade feels like... It's empty of empathy. Mm -hmm. So if everyone let the world take a turn, I think we'd all be a lot happier. Yeah, slowing down. Yeah, and kind of and we were talking instantly judging everything. You know, totally outrage. We, you want instant outrage. Yeah, clickbait. <laughs> we spoke with um, John Stezica the other week about stillness and about trees and art, trees and art, and I love all that idea as well of like slowing everything down. Yeah, it's something that I, as I'm getting older, I've realised you yeah. sort of really need to do. It's really it does important. that. How old are you? I'm 38. Oh, so you look old. How old are you? <laughs> <laughs> I look older. I'm the eldest one here. Oh. No, impossible. How old's the sound recording? But you're dressed the youngest. <laughs> oh, for you in there, in that window. He's oh, 25. Oh, fuck off. Wow. Right. <laughs> He's only 25. Stay in the other room. But you're, um, your dad's your hero, isn't he? Uh, yeah, dad's my hero. And he, fe he features in so much of I've your work. I've got lots of heroes, but he's one of them. Oh. But th there's a beautiful story where he took the... For you and your friends to make art, he cleared out the garage. Yeah, the garage. I love I that story. Hear that. Well, you spoke about it. You spoke it. about this, yeah. You've done it in interviews before, before, right? you, you, have got a lot, you have spoke about your work oh, a lot. That's <laughs> it is all out there. Actually, I know where it is. It's Miranda Sawyer. Oh, uh, yeah. You, she went back to your home and you walked oh, outside right. the house and yeah. she pointed at the house and you were like, that's, that's the garage studio. where it began. Yeah. That was so, yeah. such a beautiful story for your dad to allow your creativity at that age. And he helps you make the lamps. Yeah. Yeah, he came to the studio and... <laughs> terrible it's better than child labour though isn't it getting your dad in <laughs> got me children working for us so that's good yeah but actually your children have played a really big it's part massive. in your work and one of my favourite things you've ever actually made was um, a sculpture which is a cast of a den that your daughter had made and it even has the kind of like paint pot that she might have you know had underneath the sheet and it brought back all of these memories for myself it's mm. such a powerful thing this idea of making a den mm. and somehow when you're a child and you're kind of trying to work out what the world means and what home means mm. and um and then playing and inventing the, the, situations with though i think what that's characteristic of is 
I try to make work that's a bit universal. So when you think about shelter, it's a universal yeah. thing, isn't it? It's like every human in the world needs shelter. It's something mm-hmm. we all totally understand. Um, and then like talking about how old we are and time and time slowing and empathy, you know, time and the anxiety, the influence that we play in the world or mortality and the fear of death, they're all universal subjects as mm-hmm. well. And like, I think it's good to make art about things that are universal rather than specific. I'm not, I'm not into making work about my specific p- position in the world, you know. But that's also your gallerist, um, listen gallery, Nicholas Logsdale. In one of the interviews I heard with him, he was saying that, that he thinks that's the reason you're so globally successful is because the sculptures you make, the artworks you make, all the different stories even, they are all so universal. Every man. That it doesn't matter what language you speak, you can actually still relate to it. Like yeah. your your rock of the thinker's rock. Yeah. Like that work, you know, goes off to Japan yeah. and yeah. then they respond to it in the same... It's a kind of... You sort of pinpoint these experiences yeah. that we all share regardless of language, which is super powerful actually. And hard well, to it's, do, it's visual language, isn't it? Yeah. So when you... I mean, it shouldn't be bound by... Visual language isn't bound... Um, by nuance, is it? Is bound by universality. So it, it, you know, I think all communication, whether it's visual language or, or you know, written language, spoken language, all of semiotics is, is based in articulation of things of universal signs. It's not based in um, localized stories. That's the that's they're all the good works when you look at the history of art. Mm. Mm. They're all the things that are universal. So and history of art is really important to you and where you play into that. It's like a mountain, isn't it? History of art. Yeah, go on. <laughs> and I'm the, trying to be a mountaineer. And Whereabouts are you on the mountain? Just at the base camp. <laughs> <laughs> With no oxygen tank. <laughs> just looking up right. longingly. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but it is a bit like that because you follow, I think all artists also follow footprints and then go off at a tangent. Mm-hmm. So the history of art is it's laying out a map for thinking because there's no point redoing the work of Solowit, is there? No. He's done it. So you go to where Solowit went to and you mm-hmm. pick up the first aid kit he dropped and the yeah. adrenaline in his rope, mm. just keying into the mountaineering reference. God. Oh, yes, I've got it. Right, right, right. <laughs> I was thinking, you... did he make them works? Right, yeah, go on. And then you so is he, but is he on one of the... your reference I'd... points then? Well, yeah, but there's hundreds. Of... Who, who, who are your top top ones? Changes at the moment. Um, Bruno Minari, designer, Italian designer. Yeah. Uh, made a lot of children's the children's toys and things like that. A lot mm-hmm. of graphic design. Um, he actually made the first mobiles before Calder, and uh, then Calder made mobiles, and Calder's ended up selling for millions and hanging out. Did he do stabiles as well? Or were they just all the mobiles? No, just the mobiles. Right. And he did, uh, but he made his out of card and gave them to friends to hang above cots of their kids. And oh, wow. And would Calder have seen them, do you think? Yeah, totally. Wow. But I love all those stories in the in the history of art. There's a great one about Mondrian and Theo van Doesburg, you know, with the, uh, uh, well, van Doesburg made basically Mondrian's work, but at a 45 degree angle. Mm. Um so on a diagonal mm. with all the lines beefed up in bold, um, which is a bit like a con- conceptual art because it's a bit of a, a riff or a piss take of mm-hmm. history. Or, um, but they were friends and they played chess together. And they, you know, and then uh, when Mondrian saw it, he thought he was you know having the piss taken out of him. So he didn't talk to Van Doesburg ever again, <gasps> which oh, is wow. great because 
you know, you could that might happen now if you slept with someone's wife or something, but this was like the dynamic aspect of a diagonal line. It wasn't yeah, <laughs> anything yeah, yeah. to get upset about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Very passionate about their lines, obviously. Of course they are. Yeah. Uh, and what about like ready-made champions like Duchamp and... Yeah, Bretars, Duchamp, or, I mean, they're uh, the masters for me. One, one person that inspired you that I was really excited by uh, to discover um, last week was that Russell and I love Willow Road. Oh, yeah. In Hampstead, and you oh, actually yeah. did an exhibition there. Yeah, and I live literally down the road from there, like two minutes from down there. So I go there quite a lot, and I didn't realise you'd done a show there. Yeah. But I loved that show you did. Yeah. Uh, I looked at all the works you you put in, it, including a chess set. And he also is somebody that made many different things, including toys or different. Yeah, he, was, he wrote. He was good. He, he was meant to be a bit grumpy though. I don't know if he was grumpy. Never really? met him, obviously. But I wrote a children's book about uh, Erno and Trellick Tower. About mm. when was it? Two thousand and two mm-hmm. <laughs> a long time ago um and then yeah i just became a bit obsessed with him from then i'm doing a project now which is uh, a door handle which is gold fingers pipe oh wow so when you go to willow road on his desk there's a load of pipes mm-hmm. he's made the pipes and one of them's a straight one rather than the curly one mm-hmm. and it's the same proportion as a door handle oh that's so, so good. we're making this this uh run of bronze this is with your company as well that you're making the sync. I've not decided whether it's with that or it's a work. Outsource yet. it. Yeah, whether it's an artwork or whether it's. A well, I've got my big... door handle sorted <laughs> and my sync. I, I actually, I actually have a, a hook in my flat in London, um, designed Michael by him. Oh, no. Designed by Erno. Uh, oh, is it the plastic one with yeah, the two Yeah, the plastic one with the two yeah, kind yeah. of. That's Michael Marriott's. Oh, is it? Yeah, called Erno. Oh, I thought it was yeah, yeah. D- designed by Erno Golfing. Yeah, no, I got like, that wrong. Yeah. I was inspired by him. Yeah. Oh, I got that completely wrong. Oh, God. I bought it at the He probably house, didn't have it? any plastic. Uh, yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, he probably did, but didn't like it. Yeah. Only use concrete. Mm, we love concrete. And wood. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Talking about concrete, you worked with a really incredible type of concrete for the Baltic, which lights up at, at night time. Yeah. What's it called? Nightcrete. Nightcrete. Yeah, the company's up there in Tyneside that sort of invented it and it glows in the dark. Very cool. Yeah. Because that was all about darkness. They were 10 inventions that were were invented in the north of England. Yeah. And then I minimalised them, made them very um, simplified them and abstracted them. And then they became, and put them on chains. I mean, but they're huge, you know, they're like, there's 
each one's the same size as this recording studio. And each of those inventions are historically significant, but they all involve light, they creating all, they light. They all give light. Give yeah. light, yeah, like sources Which of is light. a bit of a play on enlightenment, isn't it? Or to illuminate or to show someone something or to, mm. yeah. Um, and you cast those in night. They're in night creeps, so they absorb the light in the day and then they glow at night. And they were, is that what that's called? Yeah. yeah. I saw an Urs Fisher table that he made that was a glow in the dark. Glowed in dark. It's incredible. And yeah. you put objects on it, and then when, when you take them off at night, because the light yeah. that's blocked it there, you can see the objects like shaped out on that's the so table. Cool. It's so that's cool. Nice. That's yeah. called night creep. Yeah. That's so sci fi. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how important you are. Uh, so you're an OBE, and we brushed yes. over that, but let's really delve into that. That happened in 2012. <laughs> no. Oh. No, 2017. Oh, 20, oh, God. 2017. It's really recent. Yeah. So what was that like? Was you pre- prepped was, for that letter? It was... No, God. Did it just appear in the post? Or what? No, it was on holiday in Dubai. Right. I was on holiday in Dubai. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was on the beach. Holiday, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've just been to Lanzarote on a package holiday. Yeah, and? I felt right at home. Good, yeah. My parents have got a place in Tenerife. Have they? Yeah. There was little Heinz ketchup sachets in the pool. Oh, in the pool. It's a bit grim. But that's it? quite lucky if you've taken chips in the pool with you. <laughs> I'm surprised that hasn't um, inspired an artwork. It sounds like quite a genius it work. Did you photograph yeah. them? Yeah, yeah, yeah you did. Yeah. So what, how did it, how, what, how? Uh, don't know, got a, le- got a phone call from someone that opened a In letter. Dubai? Someone said at the studio, uh, there's a letter from the Queen, do you want me to open it? Wow. And I was like, you better open it yeah, if it's from the Queen. Because yeah, it says on the outside, doesn't it? This is from, from the Queen. Queen. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, she said, you're going to be an OBE if you want to accept it. And I was like, yeah. Fuck yeah. My mum's going to be well happy. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and then lots of people say no, don't they? I didn't even yeah. think about it. I just said, they yeah, do. take anything, me. Well, if they're not royalists, I guess. Well, no, that's not start. that's not actually technically true. Some people say no, not lots of people, because loads of people get OBEs, don't they? Yes, like, a lot of people turn down knighthoods and damehoods. Oh, okay. and, yeah, yeah, they Fair do. Yeah. I think you should just accept it. I did. Well, he did. Well done, in 2017, he's got it. <laughs> what are the perks of being an OBE, Ryan Gander? Well, there's the old uh, BA executive. Oh, tell us about that. that. Right. Gold card. Um, you yeah, said Michael you were listening Craig, to Michael Craig Martin said that he put Sir... Because he's knighted, he's above me. Yeah. I'm lowly in comparison to that. Can you get knighted after an OBE? I hope so. Yeah, of yeah. course you can. Because <laughs> M- Michael was an OBE, oh, then, he he was. Got, then he got a CBE, then he got knighted. God, and you've got all this it, to come, Ryan. Keep it going. Keep, keep designing, climb, it? One by one. Keep designing there, kitchen sinks. Does it eradicate <laughs> when you pump up to the next one? Does the next one, just, the one below, just disappear? No, you keep it. You're then CBE, OBE. Take your ages. CBE, OBE. So, um, no, I put I, so I did that thing that everyone says you should do, where you call BA Executive Club and say <laughs> for your air miles and that you say uh, uh, it's actually OBE, and they did it, and then I arrived for a flight to Germany, mm. um, and on the ticket it said Ryan Ganderobe instead of Ryan Gander because oh. they'd done it as one word so and they wouldn't good. let me board the plane because it didn't <laughs> match oh the no yeah. it was a nightmare so what did you miss the flight no I talked them round and they changed it but it took ages that should be one of your clothing lines Ganderobe Ganderobe yeah it could be like nightgowns that I could then hang Just on my Erno Goldfinger inspired hook the are, they, are they Medidas trainers out there then the ones with the they are I haven't seen a pair for a while because I did them um, they were a few years ago they get did... dirty don't they and then people put them back in the box did they appear as a hashtag on Instagram? Did they go to, sort of go viral yeah. for a while? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. do you do you I've wear just them? Just done a prototype for a tracksuit for Adidas, but I don't think they're going to do it. Why? 
because I didn't think about it at the time, but it's sort of... <laughs> it's, sort it's made of out of wool, wasn't encourage, it? Thick wool. <laughs> yeah, it encourages theft. It's like, oh. Um, oh. you know those tags that you get in shopping centres that yes. explode when you break them off? The red put, bloody yes. ones. Yeah, red yeah. Ink yeah. Ones. So it's an all-white tracksuit that we I put them through that process so they become like these abstract paintings oh. and each one's completely unique and different. Oh, wow. But they look like they've been robbed, which is also kind of funny. Yeah. Well, maybe they can exist in the gallery instead if they're not maybe. really mass-produced. There was a design this year who put tags... Having the tags on. Yeah. Oh, right. That were like kind of like security tags. Keep getting stopped. Yeah, exactly. If you're going in and out of stores with them. but yeah. I didn't see that. I was on... Talking about that, I was on a, a flight recently. It was a private aeroplane. I don't normally. This is part of this is why the story works. I wouldn't normally life. talk about that, but anyway. Um, and we were going through security, and then this girl went through, and she went in through with these new boots, and the security guard suddenly stopped after we went for the X-ray machine, went completely white, and said to her, "Should I run now or not?" And she went, "What do you mean?" He said, "Your boots. Should I run now?" And she's like, "Why should you run now?" He said, "You have two computers in the soles of both of your boots. Why have you got computers in the soles of your boots?" And she went. Oh, oh no, they're heaters, they're USB things, you, they're oh self-heating God. boots. And he was like, they look like bombs. Oh, And she was like, fuck. My so God. then she had to ring up the, the label and say, people, if they're not flying private and they're just yeah. going to go through JFK with these, they're going to yeah. get bundled into a room and like yeah, yeah, yeah. interrogated. That's crazy. These look like shoe bombs. Yeah. I've and never heard of like, heated shoes either. It's a new what? thing, it's a new thing. And you plug them in the USB and it heats up your boot and you can turn it on and your feet are warm. <laughs> wow. Bit needy, isn't it? <laughs> just, just put another pair of socks on yeah, do you know what I mean it's obviously someone who files private yeah can I quickly can I quickly segue <laughs> a friend parenthesis can I, can I segue back into an art story oh. I like another... using segue as a doing word what thank is you, it now thank you. I don't know Adjective. I will segue. I don't know. <laughs> I segue. Um, one, an artwork I really love that you made was about the inner soul of your shoe. I love this idea. The it's meat so was ma- made of meat. Made so many artworks that I don't know. What. You do know it. It's one of the it's colliding ones. It's the, it's the, the way the outline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has the inner soul, like a yes. soul that you put inside it's made your of shoe. Wood, though. It is made of wood. Yeah. But I love that piece. Can you explain what the, those were? That was about? in Goldfinger's house. They're... They're all wooden carvings, yeah. but they were two things that collide. That So you know the way in the world everything associates with one another. So it's, if you think of it, you sit in a pub with some friends and you start talking, and whatever you start talking about can associate with anything else. Mm-hmm. That's just human nature. Mm. So the idea was to get two objects mm-hmm. you couldn't associate, which is impossible, but a really great sort of mental agility exercise. Oh. Um, and then I put them together and they're carved as one piece from the same piece of wood so you can see the tree, that it's a singular tree that's, mm-hmm. yeah. Where do you find the person, the craftsmanship for that? The craftsman is in Deptford. Lovely. In a, yeah. In a tree He's house. Canadian. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Great. I really born love... in the forest, raised by wolves. Love him. I, I really love <laughs> oh, this I know idea, him, yeah. though, that like the inner sole of your shoe is something that no one else would ever use because it's not like you take a pair of shoes and be like, oh, even if they were secondhand and you were going to use them, you're not going to keep the inner sole in yeah. that somebody else has used because it, it's such a kind of incredibly personal thing. Yeah. And I, I love a lot that of intensity. Them are personal. Of, There's another yeah. one which is, um, you know, the Swiss USM cabinets, the posh Swiss cabinets, mm. they're dead expensive. One of those with a knotted used condom on the top. Exactly. So they're types of things that you never would share think about or <laughs> yeah, share yeah. you'd never oh, see oh it's a knotted the, condom yeah. Yeah, yeah you'd never use that again knotted nodder yeah. yeah 
that's, no, but it's true that, that they're kind they don't of... exist for very long. Because I imagine they go in the bin pretty rapidly. <laughs> but they're yeah. kind of objects that you're right. You almost don't think about consciously. Somehow, exactly. Because you kind of you don't think about your inner soul. Like temporary or... objects. Aren't yeah, they? yeah, yeah. Exactly. With life expectancy. So in your brain, you have all of these. You're constantly. It's actually almost like when you're a kid and you're looking out the window of the car and you're like, "What's that? What's that? What's yeah. that?" That's what I imagine it's being like with you walking on the street. You're like, "What's that? What's that?" But for someone who has that kind of attention to tiny details around you, mm. you obviously have to set up rules or limitations or boundaries within what you yes. do in order for it to then somehow for you to actually be able to create. To manifest. And some of the, like Martin Creed also spoke about that, having to build fences and as a way for him to be able to contain his ideas and then create an artwork. So I do understand that in other practices as well. But with you, you've done things like where you actually pretend you're a different artist. Yes. So you almost like acting. Can you explain like how that all came about? Because I just, I've never thought about that. I've actually stopped doing that now because... Have you? Yeah, it was so mentally tiring um, and just made you feel quite weird. Yeah. And I'd, I'd Would you get into a mindset then of these people? Yeah, well, that, that was the exercise really, which is problematic, isn't it? Because you end up being slightly schizophrenic, I mm-hmm. guess. I mean, you're you're putting your mind through a lot of stress by pretending to be six different people. Mm. Yeah, so you were actually creating works and... as if you were somebody else. You were Spencer Anthony was one guy, yeah. wasn't it? There's Abbe Freya, Maria Rory, Vivi Enkia. Santo Irving was the Green. shit artist, yeah. didn't you? <laughs> Santo was the bad guy. Yeah, all right. Well, not the bad guy. He just didn't operate by, uh, artistically operate by my ethics and morals. And But you said whenever you got a bad idea, you would rhyme would never it make him. it, but Santo would make this yeah. piece of shit art which yeah. you would never make. Yeah, all artists have that, don't they? That's the worst thing, I think, about being an artist <laughs> is that you go to a big museum and you see a work mm. that is exactly what you thought at once. Well, you've, at one time you thought mm. you could make, right. but you've dismissed it because you thought it would be a terrible idea and mm-hmm. it's actually been validated by the art world. That's like, yeah, that's the gutting. dagger, isn't it? Oh, in no. <laughs> People actually like it. What are you proudest of? What is your proudest art creation? Um, God, that's hard. Thank you. God. That's I guess that's it. Talk art. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to talk art. Million dollar question. Uh-huh. Um, it's probably the piece at Documenta where it was just the breeze in the gallery, where it was just. Oh wow. Because um, people still come up, you know, artists sometimes are known for one work. Yes. And like Tracy in the bed, a she can never piece. never escape it no. in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess. Well, Martin Creed is lights on, lights off. Yeah, That's, exactly, yes. exactly. Yeah. So it's a bit. I've always worried that that would uh, define. Yeah, be yeah. my my downfall in mm. terms of being um, defying expectation because mm-hmm. it's something that people come up to us even now, like eight years later, and say, "Oh my god, that piece was amazing." Tell us about it. It's basically well, documentaries like the Olympics, isn't it? Of art, it's only every four or five years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was invited to do it eight years ago. And I said, I just want to make a breeze in the gallery and I don't care if it's in a group show or whatever. I don't... You know, when uh, when you're in art, uh, art school and you're an art student, you do the degree show. I remember this commotion about space. Everyone, oh, I want to be in the gallery. I want to be in this, this space. I want that space. And everyone worries about the space and fights for the space. Mm. And I made a conscious effort, I remember, when I was an art student to not do that, to adapt... Um, and compromise to the context. So I used the entrance space and made an information kiosk. And I just thought, because it's documenta, 
and there's all these like top artists who are going to be fighting for attention or whatever. Mm. I should just do something that's completely ephemeral and invisible, but is everywhere. And the first thing I thought of is wind does that. And wind is like a language that connects and associates everyone else's works. It passes by all these artworks. Um, so I uh, said that to Carolyn, the curator, and she said, great, you can have the whole ground floor of the Friedrichianum, which is the biggest, you know, the, that's where everyone goes at the start. And it's huge. It's like a whole museum. How did so, you make the wind? With Bonn University. Bonner University did it over three years. So we built two buildings outside the back of the museum um, and they were soundproofed because the two... Oh, so you had like four years to make this then? Yeah, yeah. Wow, came... and is that the same for everyone? Or were they all commissioned? Invi- they no, all... we were one of the... I was one of the earliest people to be invited. I think. Legend. Yeah, that's a long list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was first, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it's funny because it, in the end, it's you, you walk into an empty museum and there's nothing there and there's just this breeze and you see all the invigilators have scarves on because it's so cold. Um, and it's not like a wind tunnel. It's not like, you know... Disneyland it's Mm. like very subtle Um, and then you go oh there's nothing here and you read the label on the wall and it says breeze and then you realise that even though maybe you're an arts professional and you're used to the language and everything of art that you've missed the whole point that it you know it's it passed you by because you weren't turned on enough and you weren't you know noticing enough noticing again yeah yeah. so and it's it's uh, yeah it was just a good I think it's a Good work. It it sort of defies be it defies being a one liner, uh, but it's also a work that you can explain in one line. Got it. So that I think that makes a strong idea. You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Has that ever travelled anywhere else? No, because it costs a fortune. To... All of your work costs a fortune. <laughs> it's a problem. It don't, seems. Don't how, how do you store galleries. breeze? Um, well, there's two. It was actually bought by um, Japanese. A, <laughs> I can't say. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the collector. I don't know if they got the turbines, but the tur- there was two huge turbines. Got it right. Yeah, in yeah. rooms outside mm-hmm. with tunnels that led to the museum, so you couldn't hear any noise. Mm-hmm. And they um, drew air out the building. The front doors were left open. But first museum of that size, we had to create a colossal vacuum. You know, the suction out the back of the building to create the breeze was immense. So the the fans were huge. Yeah, it was quite a elaborate. It's funny because when people talk about it, they say, oh, you, you turn the air conditioning up. I'm like, no, it's joking? more, yeah, it was a bit more advanced. <laughs> it's way more complex. I wish I thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it might be a lot easier, yeah. So every guest that comes on Talk Art, we ask them two questions, which are compulsory. Yeah. One is, what is your favourite colour? Do you know what's funny about that? What? That's what me and Phil, Phil's the director of the studio, that's what we ask uh, employees in our interviews. Is it? Yeah. The other one we We're turning the tables on you your favourite artist and if they oh. don't say me, they don't get the job. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Right, that's right. <laughs> out, get out. Yes. Go on then, what's your favourite colour? Uh, well, I'm obscenely colourblind, so I don't choose any colours. So if you did a Google Images search for my work, you'll notice... That the only colours that I use are primary colours or colours that can be instantly recognisable by colourblind people. And most of my work's black or grey or the colour of a material. That's so true. Weird, eh? Right. Yeah. Is it a well-known fact that you're colourblind? (laughs) We're silent. Uh, It is now. Yeah, it is. It's everywhere. Um, Right. And because they're quite institutional colours. I think it's an interview that because of your 
child have been in out of hospital yeah. that them sort of the muted greys and the yeah. whites are play of such a big part in your artworks yeah. like an asylum but I'd always <laughs> I, I'm actually quite surprised by that because I assumed that that was a choice because it was almost like following on from conceptual art of the 70s or something where there were colour rules no. do you know what I mean like it was very much black and white or whatever so yeah, I always took I it cope with. that's so interesting so if I use a colour it'll be because it has to be that colour so like the blue cubes with the ballerina series yeah. they're always blue because blue for me I mean I can talk about blue being my favourite colour because I can describe the products cognitively of blue mm. so we think of Eve's Klein blue or we think of but you blue. can see blue I can see blues, yeah. Okay. But you think of blue and you think of the sky, so you yes. think of depth, so you think of infinity, or the think sea. of blue screen in TV, uh, which is uh, imag- unimaginable possibilities, mm-hmm. you know, it's everything at once. Mm-hmm. So. But you mentioned the ballerinas, they're the Degas ballerinas. Yeah. So what, what relationship have they got to being blue? Um, well, that's a very good question. That should be your third question for everyone. Degas ballerinas. What do with the colour blue? What? <laughs> There is, so those works consist of three components. There's the bronze of the Degas ballerina who's exploring the world. She's been brought back to life. Yes. It's like Nights at the Museum almost where she... There's one of her having a fag, isn't there? Smoking. She does have, yeah. Brilliant. She has a cigarette in one of them, yeah. And she looks out the window and she hides behind the gallery desk and things like that. Mm. Um, and then there's the plinth, which sort of represents the institution of art, that thing that is stigmatised, isn't it? And the elitism that we were talking about. And then there's the blue cube, and the blue cube represents contemporary art. Because when you go and see a Degas ballerina, Mm. it's you, who's the viewer, the spectator, looking at her, which is the art, the spectacle. But because she's brought to life, she becomes the viewer. So I thought, if she's then the spectator, not the art, even though she's a bronze, she needs something to look at and interact with. Right. So what would be the most cliched stereotype of contemporary art or conceptual art? Blue Cube. Right. If you were in a big, uh, in a, say, a, a Bugs Bunny cartoon, mm. and they were in a contemporary art gallery, mm. <laughs> Bugs, um, it'd be a Blue Cube, wouldn't it? Good one. Makes total sense. Yeah. I can't, yeah, to you. <laughs> no, I, I, I get it. I'm trying to piece it. The, I'm, well, I'm thinking of the Bugs Bunny art gallery. Oh. What I would, I'd just put a carrot in there, like a bronze carrot. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Maybe you're an artist too now, Ross. Maybe. All, this, all these I'm years. I'm creative. Of, you, you are, I'm proud yeah, of you. Yeah, share studios. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and our next question is, uh, if you could art heist something, take it home with you, your touchstone work of art that would be just yours forever, what would it be? My God. Um, God, that's impossible. Really? Do you think so? God, one thing. What, is there an art gallery you go to and you see you go back to again and again like and again for, and look at something? For example, my one is my uh, Frida Kahlo. So, like, I was obsessed with Frida. If I could actually steal a painting, mm. I would love to have like My Birth by Frida Kahlo, even though yeah. it's a really Mine's intense a painting one. by Picasso called Night Fish and Antibes that's in the MoMA. This is really telling, actually. Um, it tells me something about myself that I've never thought about, but I guess that I'm not... I don't really like art when it's finished. Yeah, you don't, do you see do what you? I mean? Yeah. So you, well, whose story do you want? Who's what's legacy... Like, Whose story you would know you like I'd to probably continue? Have? I'd probably have, you know, the Pierre Huit work where he sands the wall and all the rings of the coloured yes. paints underneath? Yes, yes, yes. I think yes. I'd have something like that. Love that work. Because it, it doesn't last, does it? It extinguishes itself. Or he has to come and sand your wall, or I don't know. It's more about, it because it's already there, that work. 
you know, if you did it in your house, it's all the layers of paint that are on the wall. Yeah. And you get these coloured rings where he sands it away. So basically when you sand down the wall, Russ, uh-huh. it, it, it reveals all the layers of paint of time. underneath. Yeah, you have time, like time underneath. Yeah, it's a bit like so a, it's great in it's a, a museum. Time capsule yeah. Time. yeah, they're amazing those. Or ones. like uh, you know, when you cut a tree and you count the rings. Yes. yes. It's a bit like that. I'm but, always cutting trees and yeah. counting rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's actually, like that, a bit yeah, saying time capsule, that, that relates to your yeah. work and the fact that when I when you when I looked at these dens that you've you've cast in marble yeah. that is like a time capsule that's kind of freezing time of your your kids development yeah. your kids like yeah totally well the funny thing about that is I kept making them because kids keep making dens it's yeah. just like an instinctive thing that all kids do I think mm-hmm. make shelter mm-hmm. and they changed but they changed in scale as the kids got bigger physically mm-hmm. but they also changed as they got more intelligent they became more elaborate the more architectural and the security system exactly <laughs> 3D printing them yeah, and... <laughs> yeah 3D printing um... dens yeah but you're talking about yeah. have you ever had the sandcastle effects which which is, I don't know why I'm going northern that, sand, sandcastle effect, which is um, about the creative mind and it's about kids and about the fact that all kids make sandcastles. Yeah. So all kids make sandcastles and they build a sandcastle, which means that you're creative because you're an architect. You're yeah. building these and you might place them all over the place. Mm. Then you might decorate them with shells. Mm. So when you decorate them with shells, that means you're an artist or you're yeah. a designer or you're an, a decorator. Yeah. You do that. And then you might create these characters, the princess or the prince, the prince like Storyteller. being rescued by the princess. Let's mm. just do that. And suddenly you're a storyteller or you're an actor. Yeah. And that all stems, You everyone has the ability to access all creativity at that yeah. age. Yeah. Wow. And if you just look at kids playing a sandcastle, you can normally see what sort of like persuasion where they're leaning towards. Yeah. And I think that's an incredible thing. And I think what you're saying about the dens, it kind of relates yeah. to me on that level. Can I say something provocative? Yeah, go on. <laughs> um, I'd say that the first bit, building the sandcastle, mm. is a cognitive activity. Uh, it's your brain. And I'd say that the third one, the storytelling, mm. the narration, is a cognitive activity. But I'd say, whew, it's going to get loads of letters. Go you on. get comments on your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you get loads of comments about it? Slag, Come on, right, do it, do off. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, number two is a retinal one. It's the eyes only. Really? I'd say. At yeah. that age? No, at any age. Wow. Decoration. Huh. So nothing's really <laughs> real. <laughs> Got it. Do you see what I mean, though? Yeah, sort of, yeah. It's interesting because... You've squashed my kind of... Yeah, no, I like, I like the, like the yeah. sandcastle yeah. pyramid effect thingy. Yeah, yeah me too. Um, but no, I think the point is that I'm getting at is, you know, the art world's changing. We're seeing it change. And mm. you look at Instagram and we look at art that becomes popularised by Instagram and yes. others, you know, visual platforms, social platforms. And it's often, I mean, I'm seeing this develop. I've just been doing a programme for the BBC that touches on this, the way our self, idea of self changes by social media. Um but I think what we're seeing is two types of art emerge, an art that is based in cognitive, mental, the brain, and another type which is retinal only, it visually as strong, bold, visually striking characteristics, which function dead well on, on social media. Mm. Um, but it feels like they're moving apart. Do you see what I mean? Right. It feels like the gulf between those two worlds is... Cognitive and retinal. Yeah. And, and as an artist, the they used to be connected more. Absolutely. I'd say so, yeah. I wow. think so. I don't know if you've thought about this. But I've never thought no. about that. I've just thought, I mean, I've just been thinking about the last three months, but it feels like, yeah, things are moving, changing, the art world's changing somehow. No, no, that's definitely happening. Yeah. yeah but I don't think I've explained it in the way that you just have. How would you explain it? 
I don't know. I mean, I've I've been seeing it as the art world changing in more of a physical space idea, and you know the okay. fact we're moving to Margate, or, and the fact that people weren't visiting exhibitions as much anymore. Yeah. So you know, for example, we went around galleries the other weekend, and that all the galleries are empty on Saturday. And there's yeah. this myth that like all the big galleries are busy all the time, but they're not. Apart unless you're Tracy Emin, who's getting ten thousand visitors a day on the mm. weekend. Um, you know, superstar artists get, get these get these shows where people will visit, or big museums get them. But I think commercial galleries don't get the visitors they used to get because a lot of people are just getting into the idea of looking on the internet, feel like they've been to the exhibition without being to it, sorry, without, without visiting it in real life, which is really problematic. See, the thing is, the danger with that is, how would you experience a work like my wind piece, exactly. breeze piece, well, you, through work, Instagram? Though. Yeah, you if can't. If you don't go to the physical space. And you don't feel it, and you don't. I guess it would be through words. You know, you or might have, a the, you have a story, photo story, of the story, be an IG video story. of someone like your hair blowing. Yeah. that's true. Yeah, but I, the point I is, tried though, to make a video that looks rubbish. <laughs> but, I, but I think though that people want. Um, so the, one of the reasons we're doing Margate is that it's going to give people an experience. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of leading them to the gallery by saying, "Come to Margate for the day. Come and have an experience day out," mm. as a way of getting people to come. Because when we were in Shoreditch, it just felt. I mean, even I was kind of bored sitting at yeah. the desk. You know, yeah. it's just not exciting anymore so I think that's we're trying to work out a way of getting a bigger space so we can do more adventurous exhibitions mm. but get people physically there even is it though it's it not in London. Is it make it a destination? Yeah. Exactly. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And we, you know, we went to Hauser & Worth in Bruton recently and we had this experience. We saw Calder's, uh, you know, rattles that he'd made for his kid and all of these, you know, things. But that was a real day out and an experience. It's nice there. You would have loved that. Um, I went, I was in the show and they put us in the farmhouse. Mm. You know, the, Amazing, oh yeah. Oh my God. It's like luxury. We were staying in the town in one of their houses. It was so yeah. beautiful. But that was an experience. And then you take it away with you and it's a memory. And yeah. I don't know. So th- I think that's probably the way it's going to end up going. Well, look, when is that documentary out? Is this my uh, trying to sell, get, this is get viewing figures yeah, in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's on. Um, it's probably, this will be after, won't it? I don't know. We can. This is the 18th. It's maybe on the 18th we'll, Maybe we'll bump March. you up. No, no, but I'm sure it'll be on iPlayer. Is yeah, it probably will, yeah. yeah. It goes on BBC World after, I think. So. Okay, great. And it's on BBC Four. And what's the title it's on of the four, show? It's called Me, Myself, and I, with Ryan Gander. The with Ryan Gander, I was a bit annoyed about because it makes me sound like Bob Holness on Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> with Ryan Gander. Um, I just said, can't you just call it Ryan Gander? The self or something. Yeah. Me, myself, and I. I, I know, like I didn't do that. I oh, come that, on. Wasn't that wasn't your pun. That actually it's... takes me back to your Miranda Sawyer interview because when she talked about your thinker rock, yeah. she did a pose and she was like, oh, hang on, that's it's not Bruce the thinker. Forsyth. It's Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> I love her. I think she's brilliant. Um, well, yeah. look, we're looking forward to seeing the new documentary and um, for everybody who isn't familiar, please Google Ryan Gander on YouTube and you can watch many different um, series. Including... You've got an Instagram, haven't you? Yeah. What's your Instagram? It's Ryan J Gander. What's the J stand for? Jesus. James. <laughs> <laughs> no, James. Oh, not conceptual. Not a conceptual. No, joke. it's just someone took Ryan Gander. Uh, boring. Ice hockey player in Canada. We, okay. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe don't Google him. We're going to Google Ryan Gander artist. Yes. And um, um, our Instagram at Talk Art will have images of all the artworks we've discussed today. Yeah. And um, see you all very soon. Thank, Thank you, you very for much. Thanks on. for coming in. Great to spend time me. with you. Of course. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Recorded at Spiritland London by Anthony Shaw and edited by Gareth Isles. Subscribe to Talk Art on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Wow. 
when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.